It's the SaaS Brand Strategy Show. We're back this week. Mike, Dustin, good afternoon. Good evening and good night. How are you? Good morning. And morning. It's morning still for some of us, not for others. Uh, 11.30 Mountain Time. So yeah, beautiful day here. Under caffeinated or over caffeinated, I can't really tell. So I, I know. I know I'm over caffeinated when it's post lunch and I'm still drinking coffee. That's how I know yeah. I have I have over caffeinated for sure. So I'm I know which side of that spectrum I fall on this morning, Mike. Perfect. Uh, how yeah. are you, Dustin? Uh, what's going on? Nothing. Just a beautiful fall day in Salt Lake City. Gorgeous. Got some frost in the morning. Took the dogs for a run, and yeah, looking at a pile of leaves that needs to be picked up. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Tis the season. I uh, I have to tell you both that winetext.com is going to be a very dangerous thing for uh, my general life. So I'm uh, I'm very curious now. I keep getting these texts and I'm like, all right, I understand how this could be very, uh, very treacherous very quickly. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the singles day promotion, um, I single handedly blew up multiple addresses that Mike has in Wyoming I'm allowed to ship to. So. <laughs> Uh-oh. Hey, I'm chasing wine all over the place because I got my own coming too. <laughs> you've, you've created some sort of booze-fueled scavenger hunt for Mike across the city Again, of Jackson. The, the UPS guy will be rewarded with wine. So yeah, <laughs> it's the, one of the beauties of small town living. Sure, yeah. sure. A very yeah. a very happy holiday will be had by, uh, by that person who's going to help carry a lot of pounds of liquid pounds of, of wine yeah i think we did discover that you can change the name and have the same address so there's ah. some dustin robertson wine being shipped to mr dracy's homestead so i think that's a different podcast is how to hack the wyoming liquor code <laughs> to get wine delivered so let's save that for another another time for another day for another day um well uh, before i have be the police showing up or the what is it what's the liquor uh, police uh, dbac the department uh, of alcoholic <laughs> beverage control is what it is in utah oh awesome. i don't i don't think every state has one of those <laughs> it's this town's not here. small enough where i know who that is and i can't bribe them so let's <laughs> kind of keep it on the lowdown a little bit we can we can uh we can surgery some of that out of here <laughs> um well, in a in another continuation of last week outside of winetext.com, uh, we're talking about product strategies, go-to-market strategies, um, and how that all kind of relates to a SaaS brand strategy. Last week, we talked about product-led growth and kind of define that and the ups and downs of that and how that ties into how crucial it is to be able to sell and tell a different story. And uh, as we mentioned last week, we're kind of doing a series or I guess, you know, this sort of piggybacks on that. Um, and we're going to talk a bit about product market fit. Less trendy, I would say, more just a generalized concept in, in software that's been around for a long time that everyone knows and aims for. Um, and uh, we're going to kind of see where that leads us today, particularly down the roads of message market fit, which is related and a little bit less commonly held. Um, so yeah, let's start with product market fit. Dustin, uh, as our resident scholar, give us your dictionary definition, if you would, 
for product market fit. Okay, that that is a hilarious way to refer to me because anybody that knows me, <laughs> a I'm the dictionary and b I'm the scholar. Those are uh, those are funny things. Um, but yeah, I believe in I you. Do, I believe in you. I do know the VC uh, definition for product market fit, and when um, they're looking to invest in a company that's you know got some traction, they want to know that you know you just didn't spend a bunch of money to sell this into the market. They want to know that you actually have a product that people want to buy, and so they measure that by the fact that you have a measurable, repeatable sales process. And what that means is you can go out to the market with your sales motion and repeatedly close deals and bring in ARR. Um, and that ideally will scale and be predictable. For sure. And just to clarify, you're saying, you know, a lot of companies early on will spend a bunch of money to grow really, really fast. But once you unplug that money faucet, they may not actually have the same ability to grow that they displayed with all of those funds. That's a company that maybe doesn't have product market fit because it's not a repeatable process. It's not a scalable process because they maybe were willing to take super high customer acquisition costs at the beginning to add a ton of customers. But when it actually comes time to be a profitable business, they can't necessarily do that. Is that roughly right? Correct. Yeah. The, the founders could have done the first million dollars in ARR, which they actually want you to do. And so at that point, they're probably not going to say you have product market fit. So maybe you're raising your series A or you're getting that C round. Um, and so they're going to want to see that you can uh, install a, a process that is measurable and repeatable to generate additional ARR outside of the, you know, the founder selling it is one use case of how that could happen where it's like, oh, well, we sold it, but we don't know if you have product market fit. Or sure. you, know, you had product market fit, there was some feature that was really easy to sell, um, and you were able to get a bunch of customers on board. But now you need to scale and move beyond that that one wow feature, and you know there's been no proof that you could actually um, run that predictable, repeatable process to sell it. Uh, this kind of ties back to PLG that we talked about last week because if you have a PLG motion working, you know that's arguably is a measurable, repeatable sales motion that does scale. Um, but again, as we mentioned last week, if it's really focused on a few wow features and you don't have a story that your customers are telling and selling and you're generating that community and kind of getting that ecosystem going that PLG requires to really scale, um, I think, again, the VCs will probably say, okay, you just have a self-serve model where you're, you're selling a feature that people really like. Sure. Um, you're missing all these other pieces of PLG. So we're going to say you don't have product market fit. Um, <clears throat> and Fortunately or unfortunately, this is where I've spent most of my time with the investment community is discussing whether product market fit exists or not. And um, they're, they're pretty ruthless in it as they should be. Um, so Yeah, it seems, so, like a, it seems like a moving target. So if you have one sweet feature that's people are buying what you're selling, it's gaining traction, you can say, okay, yeah, we're starting to prove product market fit. But if you go to add layers or um, you know different functionality into that product that isn't gaining traction, do you lose product market fit? And um, people aren't buying what you're selling, but they're still interested in um, you know the the basic functionality that you were originally selling. But as you try to grow and spread a little bit, people are like, I don't need that. Then then what happens? Do you lose product market fit? 
Well, they, there's that's the beauty of the SaaS metrics. They can actually measure all of this. So they'll look at your CAC and your payback period. But then <clears throat> can you expand into the customers and sell them other things um, or get them just to spend more with you, right? They, they look at that as the expansion revenue and the, cust- the net customer retention. So how many customers are you losing? And then do the customers you keep grow faster than the ones you're losing? So you have a, a net, uh, they call it net negative revenue retention, which, you know, 120%, 125%, is kind of really good, um, <clears throat> is another way that they can kind of like suss that out with the metrics. But um, that's after the fact, after you've gone through the strategic reasoning of like, okay, we're going to build this um, onto our feature set. And again, if you don't have a, a point of view that you're tying all this into, then you are just kind of like adding on features and hoping people buy them. So we're yeah, kind I think of touching that's the on thing. this. Go, go ahead, ahead, Ryan. No, go ahead. No, you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, after you, sir. Uh, so we're kind of touching on this and I, I just wanted to kind of grill you about it really quickly, Dustin, because I know, I know people know a lot of this, but like what, what, you know, when you say predictable, repeatable, and scalable, what are the primary things that make growth predictable, scalable, and repeatable? Like, what what do we look at to make sure that we are hitting those three things? So, um, yeah, it, and we'll just talk about it in the sales motion. So you have a, a team selling. So um, you're able to go out and generate a lead that you can then qualify that they have the need for what you're selling and then run them through the pipeline and it takes whatever it's a predictable number of days. So 30 days in pipe and you're able to close when those people that come from lead through the pipe in 30 days at, you know, 50% or whatever that rate is. And you can do that repeatedly. And maybe it's done with an outbound motion, which is probably the hardest. You're like, yes, we consistently can convert 50% of the people that we convert into leads uh, from out and outbound motion, and then they they spend this much, and so that it could be that it could be a combination of inbound and outbound, um, and then they're going to want to look at the percentages of where they're coming from. But that's that's it. And if it's an outbound motion, then you're like, well, it can scale because the TAM is this, and these are the people, and this is how we do it. And for that outbound motion to be working, you obviously would probably not just be selling on a feature. You'd actually probably be really tapping into a vein of some superpower your customers need. And the sales team's being really effective at communicating that. Word. I dig it. Mike, did I derail you enough? Or did I derail no, no, enough this to is, not this is all good for comment? me. Okay. I'm learning, you know, like when I, as kind of an outsider, relatively speaking, in SaaS, and when I get into the weeds on the metrics and, and um, success as, as Dustin speaks to it, and I'm always struck by what's missing in all this stuff. And we kind of talked on this on PLG as well, is if you're just out there product, product, product and sell, 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 and you don't have a higher level value prop that you've identified and the superpowers that you give, the benefits of all this other stuff, which is the essence of brand strategy, um, then how does that impact? Does it not impact like, our team's missing this. I guess the question I would have is if you're talking about product market fit and a company that's doing the brand strategy with product market fit, are there examples of companies that are doing that well? 
better at doing product market fit well, you're saying, Mike? Yes, but also kind of plugging into the brand strategy, the narrative, you know, the big problem in the world or the big change in the world, the problem you solve related to it and how you um, turn your customers into superheroes. This is this would, is the thing. It's like, I think this is the market. Like when I look at this and I see all this product talk, it's like, great, but essentially product is going to run out of, of steam after a while. And you have to have a higher level value prop that you can consistently drive the business with. Yeah, I think MailChimp did a pretty good job of this. Um, <clears throat> they, you know, their product market fit early on was just, you know, they made it easy to email people back when that was pretty complicated. And then... Sure. Um, they really honed in on their market, which was, you know, small individuals, solopreneurs or small, small companies. And they, you know, rallied on that, that functionality that it was just easy and it was for them. Um, that messaging went wider and they got bigger companies, but they kind of always stuck to like, we're for small business and we're going to continue to do things that help you talk to your customers and generate revenue. And they eventually started moving towards um, kind of like a revenue generation platform and started adding in landing pages and even e-commerce functionality. And that led them to, you know, break their relationship with Shopify. And, you know, there's a bunch of consequences for them having that point of view in the market, but they had a point of view and they used the product market fit and tied the product, the point of view into it to add other products that then, continue to have them grow and you know what was it 12 billion or whatever they sold to you into it for so yeah um i think, I think that's a pretty is, good example i think so too and i think also a thing that you're maybe alluding to with your question mike and i think you're hitting on with the mailchimp example dustin is is the concept of message market fit and product market fit because because i think early on MailChimp had both. I mean, their message to the market was we're for small business and we make it super easy to email people, like you said, Dustin, in a world where it's hard. And the product paid off that promise. When you got in MailChimp, it was extremely easy to do the thing that they told you was going to be easy to do. So I think MailChimp had both from a pretty early on point. They had both message market fit and product market fit which I think was a huge part of why they had meteoric growth without ever having to take on investment capital because both of those things were humming from a very early point of view. And to your point from earlier, Mike, excuse me, do those things, do you ever fall out of sync with those things? I think MailChimp is maybe another really good example of someone who could have fallen out of sync with both product market fit or message market fit as their product grew, but they grew their product and their message, I think, really nicely along with each other in such a way that their market, their product, and their message all stayed in sync all the way up until the point of sale, more so than I think a lot of companies get. There's, I think there's more record scratches that happen out there than ever happened with the MailChimp growth example. Yeah. So how would you define message market fit? Well, we, we experienced that firsthand. <laughs> Um, so we pivoted a business where we all worked together, um, and created a, a whole new, um, point of view and actually target market and TAM for it. And it was a bit in front of the product functionality. And so the investors in that scenario told us we had message market fit. We did not have product market fit and they were correct because what that looks like is you can bring people into the sales pipeline pretty predictably and repeatedly 
but we were unable to close them because the product actually was too far off from paying off the message that we had. And so um, I think that happens uh, less frequently because most people build the product, then figure out the narrative after the fact. But we had a unique situation where we were kind of pivoting the business. And so we got to build a new narrative for the pivot. And, you know, turns out we're good at it. That's all we do now. So we kind of nailed it. And I, would I think also, that's it, the, I, the I question was going to say, is, I would also say that there's an uh, there's a piece of this too, Dustin, where you said, you know, um, businesses that have message market fit will be able to bring people into the pipeline, but not be able to close them. I also think there's an element of it too, that sometimes it's that you can't close them. Sometimes it's that you can close them, particularly from a self-service perspective, but you see pretty high churn numbers because once people actually get into the product and start trying to execute against the message and the brand promise that you gave them on the front end, they're not seeing that match. Just to use the MailChimp example again, it would be like, hey, you can send an email really easy and you come in and go, what are you talking about? It's actually really hard and complicated. I hate this. Um, I'm not saying that's exactly what happened in the example that you're referring to, Dustin. I'm yeah. I think that's a possibility that you could also see high churn from people coming in and actually starting to get usage and feeling like it's not getting paid off in the product. Totally. Yeah. If you're, if you're going with a self-serve freemium model and you've brought them in on killer messaging and yeah, the product is, you're going to have churn. Um, we, in this model, we were pivoting to a sales driven model. So right. we, were, we were seeing it that way. But, sure. Yeah. So I guess um, that's the question. Ideally, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, or is it simultaneous? Um, I, you know, I was reading um, Garrett Camp, who did Stumble Upon and a bunch of others he's known for, has a concept he calls a brand product fit, where he's thinking about the brand first before he develops the product. Um, when we talk about message market fit, and that's the concept we have because most of our clients come to us after they have product market fit, but they don't have a way to tell and sell their story in the market. And so we tell them, you don't have a message market fit. So they're, they're coming to us from a product first perspective, and then they have to figure out their messaging afterwards, where there are some others that are saying like, look, I'm going to come at this from a brand perspective first, and that's going to drive the um, product vision and roadmap. And is there an optimal way to do this? Like plus minus pros, cons, like, do they work together? You know, what comes first? So I, <clears throat> I think uh, brand market fit and message market fit are the same thing. So those are probably just uh, different terminologies for the same concept. And it's, you know, <clears throat> most founders, they just have, they call it the founder's insight. So they have one insight into something. They're like, this, this needs to be solved in the world and I'm going to go do it. And so they just start building it and they don't actually take the time to build out a narrative like why it matters and who it's for because it's just all in their head. And that's just kind of how it's done. And um, that book, Messy Middle, Mike, that you just mentioned, sounds like he's kind of calling out, like people need to stop doing that. And they need to start by writing out the story of what they're doing and kind of establishing their POV before they build anything. Um, and the reality is people that are technical that build these software companies, that's just not how they think. And so they just immediately start executing and building. And that's why I think you have a lot more examples of product market fit and then they lack message market fit. And so just like in the PLG model, you can get traction selling that feature or that problem you're solving to that market that it resonates with perfectly. But there's always a bigger opportunity and you also need to be able to expand the offerings of the product and without a narrative about what 
mountain you're building and climbing, uh, that becomes much harder to, to do after the fact. And so you hit that wall where the PLG, you know, it seems to be around, you know, there's like mile markers, like 10 million ARR is a mile mark. If you can get to that, you're like, okay, that was hard. Um, and then getting past 20 appears to also be like another headwind for these companies that don't totally nail their messaging. To so. answer your chicken or the egg question, Mike, from my perspective, I do think if you can prioritize one from a growth perspective, product market fit is the thing to get first. Because if you have an, if you have a situation where you have brand market fit or you have message market fit, but you don't have product market fit, you are going to damage your brand by bringing people in and then confusing their expectations once they're through the door. That's a thing that's really hard to, to repair. Whereas if you have product market fit, people might be coming in being like, oh, I'm not entirely sure. And then they get in and they go, oh, this is great. I love this. This totally solves my need. This is helpful. I'm, I'm psyched about that. You can fix the messaging up front at a later date, but you can't fix someone's experience if they've come through with a promise in mind and you fail them on that promise. And then they, then that removes a trust, uh, a trust issue going forward. You will see occasionally people, and we've talked about it before where, uh, you people put up fake doors to see if they can get message market fit. Hey, if I make a landing page and I promise that a product or, you know, a tool will do these five, 10 things, will people sign up for it? And then they go build that product. Um, but I think, more optimally, can you build a product that meets the need? And then can you translate that story super perfectly for the people who need that product? Yeah. Just to close out the book reference, The Messy Middle by Scott Belsky, the, uh, who founded Behance or Behance. I've never known how to say it, um, but I used it a lot to try to find freelance talent um, yeah. and eventually sold it to Adobe. Um, the, the name of the chapter is Build Your Narrative Before Your Product. And I think as a founder, he references just like have an idea of who you're serving and what the need is in the market. And so you're yeah. super clear on what you're building. Totally. And I think that kind of goes back to your point, Dustin, that a lot of founders probably have that narrative in their heads, which is why they build the product to solve for that problem in the first place. But often we see they're unfortunately not very good at articulating that into the market. Exactly extracting it out of their heads, putting it down on paper and in, in inspirational words. And yeah. that's, you know, one of the value props we get all from our clients and the founders of the CEOs. It's like, you guys said what I've been thinking, but just put, couldn't put words to. So thank you so much. Right. Right. Or, you know, sometimes they can say it in a 60 minute or a 90 minute conversation and we can say it in 10 words and they're like, oh, right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like that is my 60 minute conversation distilled into a sentence and that is that is helpful and also it's what you need in the market because you know you, no one's ever going to have 45 minutes or 60 minutes to hear you out before they decide whether or not to try your product that's why we call it word work yeah yeah absolutely um so so you know a question that we get i think a lot um and i think we have talked about on the show before as well you know, when we're doing these category and messaging and positioning exercises with clients, a lot of people are wondering, well, when can I say this? Or when can I, hey, you know, the product is heading in this direction and I want to be able to talk about the product in X, Y, or Z way, but, you know, the product might not be there for six months or nine months or 12 months. 
And I guess my question, you know, Dustin is like, when, (laughs) when can your message market fit be ahead of your product or the, or the product market fit or by how much maybe is also part of it as well? Yeah, I think um, the guideline is, you know, six to nine months um, is a good sweet spot for the the message uh, to be in front of the product. Now, when you point put your point of view out there, it can be quite a bit in front of it. And you're going to just start, you know, climbing that mountain and bringing your customers along. So the point of view can be pretty far out. Sure. Um, but yeah, when you're getting into the... Um, the messaging to bring people into the sales pipeline and you're getting closer to like where you are on climbing that mountain. Um, you, yeah, you don't want to be much more than like six to nine months out. It also has to do with like your sales cycle. I mean, some people have a 12 month sales cycle. So in that scenario, you could be two years out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for, you know, the example we experienced, um, it felt like six to nine was about as far out as we could be. Um, with where we were on climbing the mountain that we had brought them in on. Sure. And, you know, at what point in like a growth trajectory do you feel like it's crucial to have both product market fit and message market fit happening at the exact same time? Is it like as soon as humanly possible? Is it like, hey, you don't really need it until you're going to raise? You don't need it until... Uh, I, I mean, the you know, the proper way to do this is to do it at the start. Yeah. So I think we're going to, we'll probably see more people um, starting to talk about category design and like what, what category are you doing? I mean, that's, that is becoming quite a buzzword. Um, there was like a podcast that I listened to where they talked about category evangelism and they, they said they coined the term for the first time. <laughs> I was like, Oh, that's interesting. There's books on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, I think, uh, it's going to be done earlier because it just makes more sense and it aligns the team on like what we're building and why you should join. And uh, the sooner you get the internal team aligned, the sooner they can go out to the market with a story that then the market will tell and sell for you. So um, yeah, I think that's what's we'll going to happen. But I was going to say, we'll have Joe from Mosaic on in a couple of weeks um, and they brought us on um when they had maybe a handful of customers and they knew they had a product idea that was going to work, but they didn't know how to tell and sell the story. And the story we developed for them was what they told and sold to investors and enabled them to get their series A and their series B. So the earlier you have that nailed down, the better it's going to be for the health and and well-being of the business. Yeah. I mean, being able to tell and sell your story, right. It's good for getting customers. It's good for getting employees it's great for getting investors because they want to know, well, what are we doing here? And it's like, oh, I see this problem you're solving. I think it can be big. And they're starting to like do their own calculations. Um, But if you can actually just bring the entire mountain to them and the vision and then like how you're going to climb it, um, that's when they're going to write you bigger checks, which Joe will ideally share with us how that went. A test Yeah. They got quite a few, two two big checks. And it goes back to what you said as well. Mike and, and, and Dustin as well, that like so much of this is about creating a single thread, you know, that one thread that goes from the customer's mind before they ever come into your pipeline, into the product, into your HR team, like that, that narrative, that single thread 
should be consistent through all those things. Cause that yeah, consistency, clarity and I, consistency, right. That doesn't consistency. matter who your audience is or when or where yeah. there's different ways to express it depending upon your audience. Right. Um, but clarity and consistency is what builds a brand. A hundred percent. And a product, right? I mean, <laughs> a brand. And well, a as product, you said, right? the, the product is the ultimate proof point of, of the uh, promise that the brand's making. So it has to be out there. It has to be aligned. The product market and the message market have to be together um, or else everything falls apart and including your team because they're not going to be aligned, not understand what, where they're headed. hundred percent. Yeah. So it's not an either or by any means. Um, right. I think obviously tons of people do product market fit first and then figure out the messaging later. That's kind of been the status quo. Right. Um, I'm going to make a prediction that that is no longer going to be how it's done. And I think the the people investing are just going to start putting their dollars to people who have nailed their narrative um, sooner. And th- those are the, that's where the money's going to go. Um, there's still be people with a great product idea that's fitting a really specific problem that are, that will get funding for sure. But the next two years, I think you'll just see a lot more people having their narrative dialed um, from the start. Yeah. And funding teams that can execute against that narrative, right? You know, can you pay off? Yeah. If this is your and- narrative, can you pay off your narrative? Yeah. And that's what the VCs are always assessing, right? I mean, they're right. basically investing in the teams early on. So right. that's pretty much all they're doing right now with the product market fit investments is like, okay, well, I believe in this team. This looks like a decent product. I'm assuming they're going to figure this out. Right. Um, but as they start to see more and more people come into them with the POV and you know that, that way of pitching what they're doing and the problem they're solving, they're going to feel more comfortable writing those checks and they're going to be more, have more confidence in that team. Yeah, totally. If you'd like a big check or if you need (laughs) some assistance with clarity and consistency among your team, if you are struggling with message market fit or the combination of message market fit and product market fit, that's the world we live in here at DRMG. So you can send us an email at hi at drmg.co. That's hi at drmg.co. And uh, yeah. Get in touch. We'd be happy to chat and see uh, where you're at. Tell you more about what it is that we do outside of this podcast. Um, If you want to learn more just in general, you go to drmg.co. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Uh, We're always talking about this kind of stuff, but all kinds of different stuff all over the map. Um, Even if you don't want to necessarily uh, learn more about what exactly that it is we do, but you're curious more about the show or you want to suggest a a guest or you want to suggest a uh, a topic for the show um we're open ears and, and happy to happy to hear anyone out so you can also use that same email address hi at drmg.co and uh, yeah get in touch about the show we'd be happy to hear your feedback hear some show ideas hear some guest ideas mike dustin anything i didn't say or didn't ask on today's episode of the SaaS brand strategy show <laughs> i think we got it thanks ryan Yeah. Awesome. Good one. Cool. All right. Thanks to you both. Thanks to you for listening. Uh, As always, we'll catch you back here next week to listen once more. We'll see you soon.